Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. And if this is your first time tuning in, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to reiterate my main goal, which is to truly impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast. Share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value out of it. And if you're really feeling special, leave a review of Next Level Minds on the Apple Podcast app and let me know what you think. Now on to today's guest. I'm sitting down with a good friend of mine, Teddy Gerard, who is a highly accomplished consumer packaged goods professional with a proven track record in film production, brand strategy, and product development. Him and I met at Clemson back in 2016, which is right around the time where his entrepreneurial career got started as he was one of the co-founders of Kanga Coolers. Then he served as a brand director for Island Brands USA, which has a spot on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing business list. Now he runs his own marketing company, Teddy Gerard Studios, where he leverages media production and digital strategy to really drive brand recognition and conversion. Most recently, he had a significant success with the company Shift Robotics, where he generated about $1.7 million in sales and over 100 million organic impressions in about a four-month period based on his branding and marketing strategies that he was able to implement. He is an extremely accomplished professional at a very early age, so I'm extremely excited to dive in and pick his brain about entrepreneurship, about branding, about taking risk. So if you're into business, if you're into entrepreneurship, if you're into just success in general, then this episode is for you. Other than that, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Thanks so much for taking the time to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast, brother. Absolutely, man. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. We uh, When did we connect last? When we were at Clemson like a few months ago, right? Yeah, we were judging the entrepreneurial competition for the new business school. Definitely a new business school than the one that we attended. Uh, I know the professors walked in. They're like, wow, so what's the first thing you noticed with the new business school? I'm like, feels like it's got AC. <laughs> I don't think we had AC when we went to business school at Clemson. <laughs> yeah, and like, what was it, Serene, dude? It smelled so bad in there sometimes, so. It smelled bad, yeah. It, it was funny, man. I got shafted both in high school and college when it came to the old schools because my old high school was renovated the year that I graduated. Like, they brand new school. Everyone moved schools. And then, uh, yeah, in college as well, the year that I graduated, everyone moved to the new business school. But I don't know, man. Uh there, there, there's something special about Serene. It's got that just grunge factor. Yeah, I mean, it helps build character, right? 
Yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's, it's humble beginnings. That's where every startup should be. Right. I guess if you're trying to go into finance, you probably don't want to sweat your butt off every day, but uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it was good for the entrepreneurial classes because they're like, look around, this is all you need to start a business. You don't need a your symbol. You don't need anything. Uh, you know, you got some fast Wi-Fi and a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need, dude. With all the stuff you got going on, have you played any golf recently? Yeah, I have. Um, the game is definitely super stagnant at like trying to bake, break the 90 mark. Nice. It's, uh, I, I need, I need to get, it's, it seems like every day, like something's broken. You know what I mean? Golf is kind of like the four pillars of business. You know, you have your drive, your irons, your short game and putting, just like you have finance, marketing, ops and whatever it is, you know? So it's, it's like, yeah, CEO. So you, you, you look at all them, like one of them, you're going to be really good at typically when you go out, but then you got to overcompensate for whatever area of your game is breaking. I've yet to have that one game where everything just seems to click. Everyone told me that it's like, it's going to happen, but yeah, I'm uh, my, the biggest goal right now is I'm just trying not to form bad habits. So I'm trying to stop myself from coming over the top. Cause I'm starting oh, like yeah. to my irons a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, but trying to dial in good, good habits. So what about yourself? Dude? Yeah. I'm like kind of on that same mark as well. I'm, I'm coming over the top of it and I'm just, I'm doing the arm turn first before the hips. I'm still getting through with it with my body, but it's like, obviously you should turn your hips first, then have your arms kind of follow through. Um, so I'm just still doing a little too much arm swinging. Um, but I agree it sometimes like my irons are on points and then my chipping's on point, but then like my drives and my putts are just out of whack and then I'll go like two days later and then it's my drives and putts are fantastic. But then my iron and chip shots are just in a whole different planet, you know? Right. And that's just kind of how it goes. It's funny. I used to open up my hips way too early and now, and so then I overcompensated where I was just like just arms, just arms. And now I find myself running into the issue where I'm just arms coming from the top and I'm no longer opening up the hips. I'm still hitting it probably the same distance, but you know, it's a little, it's, it's hard because you never know. It's like, I always call it like the dreaded straight ball. It's like when you, when you try to compensate yeah. for whatever draw slice or fade you're hitting that day, you know, you kind of go with whatever the golf golf gods give you, but uh, you know, mid round, like some, it's often like the back nine is where I play my best because I'm actually tired. Mm. So I, I'm tired and I, and I just swing easy. And, and so I don't know, I, I, I played the best golf round I ever had. This is funny. It's a little embarrassing for me to admit. It was like two years ago when I went and played with you and your dad. <laughs> I was about to bring that up. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the best golf round that I've had the closest to where it all just clicked. I, I don't know what was going on that day, but for, I remember at one point I just jumped ahead of you guys. I'm like, I like, I, I don't know what's going on, but like, I don't want to lose whatever mojo I have right now. Dude, did you break 90 that day or like you got damn close? I hit 90. And that yeah. was like two years ago too, when that wasn't the norm for you at all. Like that's what I'm saying, dude. I was like a buck 20 golfer. And then for whatever reason, shot a 90 that day. And I had my first birdie ever. It was crazy. I remember that day, but I, I haven't had a success story like that since. It <laughs> sounds like me, you and my dad need to get back out there on the course, right? I know, right? Yeah. Sounds like we're due for another round. Yeah. Did we left and he's like, oh, well, dude, Teddy's uh, pretty good. I mean, he he shot a 90. And I'm like, I, I really don't know where that came from. Yeah. Well, no, that was the funny part. Like 
you were like, dude, you told me that you, you told me that you were just like picking it up. I'm like, I am, <laughs> yeah. I am. I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, we'll get back out there, but, uh, definitely want to dive into your background a little bit. So obviously I know you're an expert in your craft, right? When it comes to the marketing, the branding, how, how did your background, I mean, growing up, maybe let's start at like 14, 15 years old. How did that kind of shape where you are today? Totally. I, I know growing up my I, I grew up with entrepreneurial parents, which I think always helps. Um, my, my dad was an entrepreneur out of Clemson. He actually invented profile handlebars, like aero bars. He was a professional triathlete and was looking for a solution to cut time on his biking and therefore, uh, invented profile aero bars, which now you can't race competitively without, which is really cool. Mm. So he revolutionized the sport doing that. That was his first startup that he did when he was in college. And so, you know, he had a long, successful career since then, either getting in at, you know, whether they were private or public companies, but going in at like the early stages as either, you know, senior vice president, presidential roles and executive roles, going in and really developing profitable departments and uh, really creating something out of scratch. So, Definitely developed the the skill set of uh, you know building effective teams. You know, find people that complement the things that you're bad at. I think what when my dad left Burton Snowboards, which was when I grew up in Vermont for nine years, he was senior vice president there. He had, they actually made him a snowboard with like ten of his like top sayings, uh-huh. and uh, he had like this executive assistant. Her name was Tanya. She still works for the company, and she was. She was so good. I remember like one of the quotes was like, I have no clue, ask Tanya. And she was so on top of everything. And he was literally like, I would not be in this position where I'm at if I did not have Tanya like by my side. And he was always so adamant about that. She was just always on top of it. So I think like, you know, taking it full circle, I was always taught, you know, if you want to do something, you know, nobody's going to do it better than you if you really want to do it well or do it right um right or wrong is something that i've been trying to like you know get away from a little bit in the sense of like saying hey you know you have to do it this way you have to do it that way because different people have different approaches to different things um if you have the same standard and as long as like the results are still there it doesn't really matter how you get there just a matter of the fact that you did it um obviously if you want to like learn from people you can try to like, I guess, optimize and speed up your workflow. But if something's working for you, it works for you. But, you know, I was always taught at a young age, if you want something, go out and do it yourself. And the earliest startup idea I can remember was when I was on a golf course when I was in first grade, uh, I wanted to get a pair of golf clubs, a set of golf clubs. Uh, ironically, we were talking about golf earlier, uh, but I wanted to get a set of golf clubs because my dad was golfing at the time with all his friends. And I wanted, I always wanted to be like them. I always wanted to hang with them. So I did a couple lessons, practiced with the set of clubs that were my size. I was like, okay, cool. I want to get these. My dad's like, okay, cool. How are you going to pay for them? He's like, well, I don't know. He's like, okay, well, let's go to Dick's Sporting Goods and see how much they are. I think the set of clubs was like $80. So 
So we get there, it's an $80 set of clubs. He then goes, okay, well, how are you going to pay for it? You don't have $80. I'm like, I don't have $80. How do I get $80? And he's like, well, you know, let, let me show you this. So we go over and we check out the Pro V1 golf balls. We see that I think they're selling, you know, a uh, 12 pack for 50 bucks or something like that. So, so anything that's used, but is like, you know, good enough or, you know, well-washed, well-groomed, able to be used, you can usually sell for half the price of whatever it's retailing at. So that was where I kind of learned like resale value at the age of whatever you are in first grade. Yeah, like eight. And yeah, eight years old. Yeah. And so what we did was we went out to the par three with the biggest like, you know, land hazard, threw on our boots and, you know, got a backpack and we just started picking up golf balls. And then every day when I got off the bus, I'd go and I'd go to the golf ball washer outside the par three and I'd go wash off all the golf balls. And then we made a sign that said, you suck golf balls two for five. And so that was kind of where I learned, you know, price, uh, like how to like do like bundle pricing, how to actually make like an effective marketing sign. Like, oh, that's funny. It drew people in and uh, ended up going out there for about two weeks, saved enough money for the golf set. And then I remember buying the golf set and honestly being a little bit sad because I lost all the money or didn't lose all the money, but I used it. And my dad was like, how are you feeling right now? I'm like, I'm kind of, kind of sad that like the money's gone. He's like, yeah, it's sad because you know how hard it was to get. Right. Mm. Yeah. And he's like, now remember that for the rest of your life. So that's always something that I, I, I've tried to take with me is that no matter how much money I'm making, I really want to try to not increase my means of living and really prioritize what I do want in my life or, you know, what my family wants and what we need, obviously create a good quality of life. But I think if you always keep things like within a perspective of not a need, a want, and you know, what are your needs and you live around there, it's like a lot easier to, you know, spend your life and focus on experiential memories and just overall experiences, which is something that I try to strive for more than material things. And that's always something that I've kind of lived by and I don't plan on changing. Yeah, dude, I, I love that golf story, man. I mean, that that's so cool. And I, I wish more parents would, would do this nowadays because I mean, you're talking about these lessons that you learned at eight years old and how they've drastically impacted your life. Um, I'm just glad you mentioned that. I think that's really cool. Well, it's funny to look back on because those are things you don't think of. Yeah. But you hated it, it at the time, probably. Like, just buy me the clubs, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I do. I got stories like that for miles, but like, you know, learned about management and delegation when my dad said, okay, the lawn needs to be mowed. Teddy, you're the old, oldest sibling. And if the lawn's not mowed, it's your fault. I'm like, well, don't the other siblings have to do it too? He's like, yeah, but like, if it's not done, it's your fault. I'm like, why? He's like, because it's your responsibility. I told you it's your responsibility. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem fair. He's like, well, you're in charge. You're the oldest. You have to do it. And that's how it is. If you're in charge of a project at work or at school, if the project's not done up to standards or if it's not completed, then it's your fault. And then I never really understood why the siblings got praised when, you know, it was completed and it was always kind of like, okay, you know, pat on the back is the difference between, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. And then also it's just good leadership. You know, if the lawn's not done, you take the heat for it and you take it and you make sure that your coworkers, your siblings, 
don't see it. You know what I mean? Uh, if when the job is well done though, you always build up your team around you because you wouldn't be where you're at if you didn't have a good team. So those sort of lessons, I think he was shaping me and molding me. I like to think he had an idea of what he was doing. Um, but I also think that, you know, he and I are wired similarly. So I think he was just kind of like, you know, these lessons will serve him well in the long run. Yeah, man. And and I, uh, taking it back from what you mentioned about the, you know, finance piece a, a bit, like, do I remember when I was growing up, I was working at Harris Teeter, like 15, 16 years old, making like $8 an hour, maybe. And I remember like, it would take me like four to five hours to get 20 bucks after taxes if I wanted to go to the movies or something with my friends. And so like, I would sometimes be like, no, nah, I don't want to go. Cause like, it's going to make me have to work four to five hours to get that money. And I hated working there. Um, and I say that because a lot of people reach out to me now in 27 It's like, dude, you live so below your means. You've been able to save all this money and do this and this and this, like, how do you live below your means like this? It's like, well, I know what it takes to make X amount of dollars. And I don't, I was trained like that ever since I was 15, 16 years old to be like, Hey, if you go spend this money, like you're gonna have to put in back in the work. Like I would rather save for future version of me and future version of my family than go buy like five pairs of Lululemon shorts or something. Right. So. Right. Right. You're gonna have to bookmark that one. Cause that's a soundbite for you for social, but that's so spot on. That's it's, it's interesting because when you've worked for a certain price point and you can, you know, I guess, you know, there's, there's different ways of quantifying your worth. Mm. And when you're first starting out, I think it's important to work a job that's hourly. I also think it's important to work a job at one point where you're making tips Because I think if you're working a job that's hourly, you know, your worth is this much to us per hour. It's quantifiable. You're only there because you are completing such task, which would not make sense for the person that is more important than you to be completing. On top of that, if you go above and beyond and make that person's life better, or if you're in a service industry and you go out of your way to make somebody's experience better, a tip is definitely going to reflect, you know, hey, going above and beyond is worth it. And it also is just a good way of that, that, that it's a second dose of encouragement. Like you're, you're doing the right thing. And when you start to learn what you can do and you're rewarded by tips, you start to like pick up on these social cues of, Mm. oh, well, if I do this, you know, regardless of whether I get tipped or not, I should probably do this because it clearly just makes everyone's lives easier. So I think that having both those jobs is important. I remember when I I held a job um, as a bag boy cleaning clubs and carts at at, at a golf course. It's funny. I didn't really golf growing up, but all these stories are like, yeah. yeah. Um, Just like always knew that the golf course was a good place where I could go network and meet with adults that I would probably want to work with and, or, you know, would typically where good connections are made is, is on the golf course. I remember always hearing that. And so I always tried to work around a golf course if I could. Um, and I, I remember a couple of the bag boys used to joke about how, you know, they would equate what they made in terms of like how many Chipotle burritos they could get later. <laughs> and it was a funny way of looking at it at the time, you know, burritos were like $10 at most, but you know, it's, it's still, you know, 10 bucks if you're making, we were making eight bucks an hour at the time because that was minimum wage. But, you know, an hour you go and get lunch and you eat Chipotle. If you get guac on your burrito, 
It's an hour and a half. It's an hour and a half, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it makes you think about it differently. Dude, it's also all about perspective shift too. Like as you level up, I believe your perception of money and how much you're worth and the confidence as well all goes up. Like, you know, I remember in college working landscaping between summers and I was like, man, I'm getting $500 a week cash. I was like, dude, I am stupid rich, right? And yeah. now like as I've leveled up and grown and just expanded my mind, I'm like, at the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of money at all. There's people that make that in the 15 seconds that I just explained that story. So I think that's something I like sharing with people as well is like expand your mind to like really what's truly possible. Right. And also if you have people working for you, you're making money, not, you're no longer trading your time for money, which is a big thing. And that's, Mm. that I think is the hardest spot to get to. Um, But then there's the, you know, the other perspective on that is you don't have to be big to make big. So it's really a decision that you have to make yourself. Do you want to be a craftsman? Like, you know, you can work your way out from being premium to luxury to where people are willing to pay you whatever price they want. Let's say, let's say you're managing people's stocks and you're taking a higher percentage on the portfolio than most people, but you're guaranteeing, you're not, no one can ever guarantee results, but your results are freaking good. Yeah. And they're, they're out of the park. People are going to pay the extra money to work with you because if they give you more, you know, they're going to make more than if they go with the other guy down the street, mm. you know, it's figuring that out. Do you want to be that guy and do all the work yourself and have a book of business that's worth, you know, who knows you, there are people that pull in a million bucks a year, just doing their own work. Yeah. You know I mean? And and if that's, if that's what you want to do, you can do that for the rest of your life and be great. You know what I mean? You, you don't even need a million bucks a year to be great or like to be well off. You know what I mean? I'm just throwing that number out for easy math, but Let's say you go and you want to do the same thing, but you want to have people below you, you know, all of a sudden you're relying on having a much bigger book of business because you have three or four people that are now relying on you that have families. And that's yeah. assuming a whole new, like new level of responsibility. You're not just responsibility, you know, you're not just responsible for your clients and being, but you're also responsible for your team's well-being. So you're responsible for the results that you're getting for your clients and your reputation there, but you're also responsible for the livelihood of the people around you. And that's a new added stress. But if you can build an effective team around you, you can be do podcasts like this and make money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's when things start to operate differently. It's the gap from the gap from going hourly to like trading your time for money to actually making passive income by either running a business or having a team with you that works for you is a pretty drastic jump though, because it takes a significant amount of cash flow and in many cases, a significant risk to get there. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time too, right? And it's not just happens like that, you know? It's structured operations too, you know? That was an area in my business that I was weakest in Mm. my first two jobs, first company that I built. That was my operate. My knowledge of operations was just, I don't think it was inexistent. It was just juvenile. And and when was that? That was when I worked for Kanga. So so yeah, you said, so yeah, let's stop there. So like for listeners out there, I I mentioned this intro, but Teddy and I met at Clemson, right? Um, and I think that's where 
besides the golf ball company and other ones that you started younger, like I think post Clemson and, and especially during Clemson is when your entrepreneurial career, like really started to flourish a bit. So wanted to mention that from a context, but yeah, like, can you expand on that a bit? Like some of your kind of personal learning lessons, you mentioned operational was one of them. Totally operational managerial, but I think operational from the standpoint of, you know, you, everything should be like an equation. You know, your time is an equation. What you input should be a larger output. And a lot of times my decisions were led by emotion or, and, and, and I will say a lot of my emotional decisions, I don't know if it was the luck of the draw did end up working out. That was pretty much how our brand was built was just emotional. You know, this is cool. This is not cool. I don't know why, but I think this is what we're going for and it worked. But, you know, nowadays being able to look at data and being able to look at like an entire advertising scope and possess a budget, knowing that you need to get a required return on your investment or or required outcome. For example, like if you're supposed to turn $20,000 into a hundred grand worth of sales, well, how many coolers do you need to sell in order to do that? Mm -hmm. And that was just never where my mind went. My mind always went to, oh, okay, I have 20 grand. What can I do with 20 grand? That's just going to be cool and take us to the next level. And in some cases, you know, you know, we made a surf movie that got picked up by the WSL and that was big time and stuff like that, but it didn't really equate to sales. I would say long-term five years down the road, it was cool because we had that PR and people talked about it. And when we went to like, you know, the big uh, trade shows like Surf Expo, ICAST, which are like the fishing, surfing trade shows, big brands that we really had no business talking to knew who we were because of those moves that we made. But at the time, it probably wasn't necessarily what we needed. So I think being able to look at it differently now and have a better understanding of cash flow and also, you know, forecasting how can we make more money by, you know, economies of scale, stuff like that is, is definitely where, you know, in, in, in my career, when I was running the marketing department, I, I exited the company when I was 23. So I, I had no real world experience besides what I had seen. And so going from that to Island, which it, where it was all economies of scale, multiple distribution points and learning an entirely new business model was so mind blowing and so good for my experience because it made me see things in a whole new light. Kanga was at the time, I don't know their business model. I don't really care anymore. Like I wish them all the best, but you know, they're going to run their thing. They're going to do it. Like at the time when I was there, we were reliant on e-commerce. Mm. When I went to Island, like you can't sell beer online. So now we're reliant on retail and it's a whole different marketing ballgame. So seeing how that works compared to something that's completely reliant on e-commerce, there are things that are the same. There are things that are different. And being able to take both aspects, the good, the bad, and the ugly from leadership to you know, budgets, allocations, to even understanding operating procedures and how things, how things were reported on or what KPIs we were even looking for, 
it just became evidently clear when I ran my own business, what I wanted to do and more importantly, what I didn't want to do. And so like without those two experiences, there's no way I would have the confidence or even be in the position to where, you know, I haven't built out the operating procedures that I need to scale, but I know what I need to do and, you know, get, getting to those cash flow, you know, points, like getting to those goals of like, Hey, here, if once we reach here, we're capable, we're capable of investing into the website. That's going to allow us to do like, you know, top of funnel marketing, you know what I mean? And in order to do top of funnel marketing, I'm going to invest three months into doing stuff like this podcast, like this, making clips like this to where I can build that out. Okay. Well, what happens after that? Like everything is now strategized as opposed to what used to be a churn. It was an hourly, um, you know, output, you know, I'm putting this in to get this out. And the second that I make this, it's going out. And there was no strategy beyond that, where if you take the time and you kind of get quiet, you get silent and you have your correct objectives and your correct cash goals where, you know, Hey, this is how much things are going to cost. And once I have this, I'm able to scale and, you know, operate at better margins. The game is changed at that point. And if I hadn't been able to see you know, what to do and in more important than what to do, what not to do, there's no way I would be in a position to where I have a clear idea of exactly what I need to do. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, everything you mentioned there is super cool. Some of the highlights that I liked what you mentioned was first lesson when you were at Kanga of like making decisions that kind of go back to like, how can we get to, uh, I think it was like a hundred K in sales out of this $20,000. Um, cause I think a lot of people make decisions of like, oh, this is gonna be really cool. But then it's like, okay, well we need money coming in at this phase of the business very right. badly. So what decisions can you make? I call them IPAs, income producing activities. What are the yeah. income producing activities that you can do with this $20,000? Is that kind of correct? If like, maybe for the listeners out there that are in a startup, would you challenge them to think of like, make decisions that are directly going back to the revenue or am I kind of off there? No, I think that's spot on. I think if you're running a business and your head isn't in, if you don't know your margins and you don't know, and you don't have, you know, year yearly goals, top line and bottom line revenue, as well as quarterly goals, then you're missing the mark, like from the get go. You know, I, I think it ultimately comes down to if you're building a, a business, having an effective brand, you need a mission statement. You need a why, your mission statements, your why. You need something that people can get behind. You need to clearly be able to communicate the problem that you're solving. If you can't do that, you're probably not solving a problem and or you haven't thought deep, you haven't thought hard enough about what you're doing and why you're doing it. You need to know there there needs to be something that pisses you off to where you're like, this is wrong. I don't know why no one's fixed this because a product is supposed to fix a problem, enhance an experience or have an emotional connection, all of which can be twisted in turn to coming back to solving a problem. So you need that. But with solving that problem, the reason you run a business is to make money. So if you don't have a goal and a lot of people focus on top line, which is not what you should be focusing on. You should be focusing on bottom line. How much money do you want to put in your pocket? At the end of the year, I like to start with the end in mind. Mm. You know, 
if I want to make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars with this random startup that I'm, that I'm going to, you know, venture in. And, you know, I project it's going to take me two months to start. I'm going to need a $6,000 to build out the infrastructure that I need to keep things running. How much do I need to sell or what do I need to do to produce enough on the top line to make what I want to make bottom line? And that's where your margins come in. If you don't know your margins, then you're wasting your time. Yeah. I, I like the beginning with the end in mind, right? Because that's going to drive you to make some really like strongly educated decisions. Um, and then it's just kind of reverse engineering, right? You have to know your margins, you have to know your top line, but there is a big difference between top line and bottom line. I remember when we were at that uh, Clemson business competition, this guy was like, he, I don't know if you remember this kid, he was going up telling about how much money he was making drop shipping. And I was like, I looked at you, I was like, holy shit, dude, that's a lot of money. You're like, it's all top line revenue, brother. And I was like, oh, you got yeah. a point there. Yeah. Well, and that was like, I remember we went up and talked to him afterwards and he was like, yeah, he gave us his margins. I was like, yeah, I knew that that was the top line. But yeah. it's like, those are the things that you get screwed on. You know, mm -hmm. people like to talk about, you know, I'm running a, you know, multi-million dollar business as a 16 year old from home or whatnot. And, you know, I, I'm sure there are 16 year olds that are putting a million dollars in their pocket and I'm not discounting anyone that's doing their own grind or hustling, but you know, I don't think that that's what you should be marketing yourself on and how you should be bringing people in. I feel like at the end of the day, you should be able to bring people in, not based off how well you're doing, but it's how well you're making the people around you, like where the product you're making is solving a problem well enough to where people are talking about you or the service that you're providing is enhancing people's lives. You know, that should be your marketing. And so people coming in that are like, yeah, I'm making, you know, 1.5 million bucks as a 16 year old doing YouTube ads or whatever it is, you know, in many cases I would I, if I had to wager my bets, I would say they're probably talking about top line revenue. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that that's misleading for people that are looking to start their own businesses or trying to find an escape from their nine to five. Um, yeah, it's sexy and looks good and it gets clicks, but you know, come on, be honest with yourself. I, I, I don't know. I, that, that's just, that's just a bone I have to pick with those sort of people, but um, you know, to each their own. Yeah, dude. So let's talk about this for a second. And then I want you to talk about risk, but before that, I mean, like if you had to boil down maybe like one or two big failures or learning lessons, whether it was your time at Kanga, your time at ICO, um, what would you really like to say there? I think the biggest thing People always ask, you know, when should you start? The answer is now. If you have an idea and you believe that it can make you money, the best time to start is now because you're always going to get older and you're going to always like just inherit more risk. That's just the facts. The other bigger and more important thing, in my opinion, is that nobody ever talks about, but it's when to get out. And for me learning when to get out when you either capped out on how much you could be making, how much you believed you could be making, how, and when you're younger, it's more important to cap out on how much you've learned 
because you should always surround yourself with people that are growing you and teaching you things so that you at your next job you're capable of you know climbing that ladder or implementing new things that are actually going to drive revenue but learning when to get out was the most important thing and i think that that's not talked about enough the whole you got to do one year thing i don't necessarily buy i think if your entire career is six months at a job that says something but you know you go somewhere for you know four months and it's just not it then don't waste your time you're only 24 once you know what i mean mm -hmm. if like especially if you're in a position to where you're surrounded by people that aren't teaching you anything you know so the most important thing is to surround yourself with people that are growing you and you're also growing them it should be a mutual investment amongst all parties but that was the most important thing is like when to walk away because when you're starting a business you get tied to it it is your baby it's your passion it's a lot of times your identity it's what you're tied to and it's the hardest decision is saying okay cool this has been a fun run and you know, think of it like a rag, you know what I mean? You've filled up the rag with water and you're wringing it out, but nothing else is dripping out of it. Then you got to go because at that point, you're just a heavy rag that's worthless. Mm. I like that uh, comparison there. And you, you, you said, just so I understand correctly, you said one of the things was if you've kind of maxed out on what you've been able to learn, was that right? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, if you're in an environment where people are telling you that you're or constantly reminding you of how much you're making and that you wouldn't be making that much anywhere else, like that's oftentimes not true. Yeah, man. What um what advice would you have for those out there that that just may feel stuck, like whether it's in their career or even their business? And they're just like, I, I know I need to do something different. And I pause in right there because you did talk about like 10 minutes ago when you first started with your other companies, like it taught you what you like to do and what you didn't like to do. So what if somebody's stuck and it's like, I don't really know like my next move. Cause I feel like there's so many people that hit me up about that, man. And I, and I try to give them advice. Sometimes I feel stuck, but I would love for what, you know, you have there from a perspective standpoint. <clears throat> totally. I, I mean, if you're trying to get out of something that's a bad situation, I mean, cast a line, cast five, cast six, you know, there is no shame in interviewing, you know, the best time to look for a job is why you have one. Sure. So, you know, if you're interviewing places, if you're trying, you know, something to remember though, is like, as you're interviewing that you're hiring your next boss. Yeah. So that was some advice that was given to me by Sam Pachel. He's actually the CEO of zero motorcycles. When I left Kanga, he, he was generous enough to take get on the phone with me for about an hour. And that was the piece of advice he gave me. He said, look, when you're going through this hiring process, yeah, you're trying to find the next move. It might be exciting. But if you're not hiring your next, like your, your boss is hiring you based off what you've done, but you're also hiring your next boss. So is the person that you're surrounding yourself with morally someone that you want to be like do they have the same values as you in the sense of like you know are they someone that you're proud to tell your family that you spend majority of your time around um that's a big thing that people don't think about often and you know if you're in a job that is you know you're surrounded by negativity or people that just aren't making you a healthy good version of yourself like 
dude, go Uber, go. Like there's no shame in going up and picking up a side hustle to give yourself some time to breathe and figure out what you need to do next. Mm. And I think for whatever reason, there's negative connotations on, you know, I went back and I, dude, you can make great money bartending. You know what I mean? I'm not a big drinker anymore. Like that's just not my thing, but you know, heck I would go bartend if if I need really needed to, you can make good cash. You can make tips, talk about hours and hourly rate and tips we were talking about. But if, if it was something where, you know, you could go into an environment where you surround yourself with successful people. So I'm saying maybe not go bartend at that college bar, but if there's a bar that you can go bartend at where successful people go for cocktails who knows who you might be able to strike up a conversation with um i think the other thing is too when you're interviewing around like you're applying to jobs on linkedin getting on the phone with people you might get on you might go apply for a job that you're unqualified for but there might be another department that could use you and people like you they're going to talk you know what i mean yeah, dude, I liked the very first point you made about casting the line. Like, if you only have one seed planted and it doesn't work out, like the flower is not going to sprout, right? But if you have a twenty-five seeds planted and two of them work out, like your odds of it actually working are out. But there does go back where it's like you only have limited time, so it's like don't try to do twenty-five things at once, in my opinion. But like, put some seeds out there, right? Put some feelers. Like you talked about that call with uh, zero motorcycles, right? So it's like. Maybe line up a call with a buddy who's in a certain career path that maybe you want, or maybe line up a call with somebody who started a company similar to yours. Like that's kind of my version of planting seeds and just like trying to learn as much as possible, if that makes sense. Right. I, I know when I was trying to start my like videography career, I made it a goal that I had to send six DMs a day. It took mm. me like 30 minutes. Um, I would always try to customize them some way, shape or form to whoever I was sending it to. But, you know, you send six DMs a day, I, that adds up quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's 42, 42 a week. Right? There we go. That's 42 a week. That's so some math right there, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 40, I wish I did fit. I wish I did, you know, whatever 50 is. That way we could add it up quicker. But yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so for, you know, 42 a week if two of them reach back out, like that's great. You know what I mean? All all you need is one gig because, you know, I didn't have the bandwidth to do anything more than just one gig. Yeah, for sure, man. So um, I know we had this conversation before that event at Clemson started off, like about all the the cool stuff you did with shift robotics. Um, And I saw your LinkedIn post the other day too. Like I'm not as familiar with that space, but I know the numbers you shared are like out of this world. So dude, like, First off, congrats, um, because I think that's badass. I showed Jacqueline that she's in marketing. She's like, that is absolutely ridiculously incredible. Um, so I don't know. I kind of want you to talk about that a little bit, dude, because I, I think that's really cool what you've been able to do. I appreciate it, man. Um, the numbers that we achieved with Shift were numbers that I they're, they're crazy. I think they're they're just they're just astounding. But what's cool is that all everything that we achieved with that marketing strategy was calculated and mm-hmm. we were not we were proactive we weren't reactive and so because we were proactive and we conducted proper research invested in 
the resources that we needed to understand our demographic and the spaces that we could rank for. I had a mentor of mine tell me, you know, Google SEO search engine optimization. It's like what people are looking up. Um, he's like, dude, if you're not trying to rank for SEO, you're trying to build something short term. Mm. It's like, wow, well, I never really thought about it that way, but it's so true. And so the strategy that we actually implemented with Shift was a strategy that I tried to implement with both of my previous jobs, but was either turned down due to budget restraints or other reasons. And it was cool that Sanji, the founder of Shift Robotics, you know, trusted me. And, you know, I, I told him, like, I have this strategy that I think is going to work. And I've, you know, I've already built it out for two other businesses. They didn't want to use it. But I know that if we run this play, we'll achieve results. And, you know, we built the play to, you know, we're like, hey, we're going to outrank Nike with SEO. Right now, they're owning the space that we want to be in for the world's fastest shoes. If we get this reach that we think we're capable of doing and harness in on the other keywords that we know are going to, you know, kind of boost and create the spider web effect with the power of great content, which we created through the Partum company, you know, this is going to work. So sure enough, we ran the play, executed it to the T of how we drew it up. And it, it was amazing. For the first time in my life, I ran a marketing campaign where I sat back and just watched mm. because everything was already automated. It was exactly how we drew it up. And because we were already, you know, two steps ahead of where pe what the questions people were going to be asking, what we were going to see from either people who didn't believe in the idea or people who did believe in the idea, we were able to react with a well-orchestrated response. And that just created this crazy spiderweb effect, which resulted in I think it was 180 million organic impressions in four months, which I've just never seen that before from anybody. Yeah. And I saw on, I was reading, I think it was like close to 2 million in sales in like three or four months. And that was from these impressions and from the campaigns you're able to build out. Right. 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 Yep. And so it, it was cool. Like, I mean, our ad spend for actual digital marketing was very minimal. Yeah. Because we were able to achieve so much through organic growth. So, you know, shift is a great example, but if you're starting a business, you know, you can't sleep on the power of content storytelling. Mm. You know, people enjoy to just hear the process that you're going through as you're starting your business. And that alone is in many cases enough to get your, your first like early adopters in the door and convert them. What's interesting is that, you know, shift, we took this approach and we said for four months, we're going to scale this off of, you know, our founder's story, which was Sanji, the founder wanting to, you know, find a new means of commuting to work. And, you know, the scooter was unreliable and I also wasn't, he wasn't able to ride it on the, on the sidewalk. Uh, so it's just like, it was, it was a huge hazard in the sense of like, he, we wanted to make something that was sidewalk, like street, like sidewalk legal. Um, 
we also wanted to do something that also like enhanced the, you know, the human motion. So he's like, you know, creating shoes that, you know, enhance your walking speed is definitely going to be the play here. What's interesting though, is after the four months, we're like, well, we, that was our founder story. Well, what's our brand story? What's our brand mission? Well, you know, our mission is we're, we're making the world a more walkable place. And so big picture, that's what we want it to be. We we want people to be able to walk places and we want people to be able to walk places. We want people to continue to be able to walk at work efficiently. So whether that's factory workers, assembly lines, people that are doing like, if you're working in Amazon fulfillment centers, like some people walk up to like five miles a day, you know, all that, that entire business is operations, logistics, and time. If we can cut down that time in half, imagine what we're capable of doing yeah so that's really the big play and i and i do believe in the mission and i do believe you know what they're going to implement especially in those like factory settings and what it can do big picture but making the world a more walkable place bringing the world within walking distance is really what we're building on now and you know if you're a brand or your company your founder's story is a great story to get people to follow along but it's not going to keep them for forever. So you got to stand for something that's bigger than yourself. And I think this is a great example of a mission statement that articulates that. Yeah, dude, I love that. That's so cool. And it's like something that I feel like everyone needs in some way, shape or form of like, man, I wish I could just get from point A to point B faster. Um, right. Yeah. And it's, it's a weird one because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to tell people like, oh, you know, you know, you need to do things faster or have everything at yeah. your fingertips type thing. But you know, I think the whole message of, you know, one of my favorite testimonials was a guy from Chicago who was like, hey, my my commute to work was three miles. And I used to go and take the metro. And now with these shoes, I've been able to walk to work. Mm. Like, that's cool. I think that's really cool. And yeah. you know, it's it's, you know, now now it's a 15 minute walk. Right. Versus, and so uh, that, that's cool. Well, what, what, the difference between 30 and 15 minutes is a big difference, especially yeah. when you're compounded over time. Exactly. Yeah, sure. exactly. Um, dude. So let's say like somebody is like wanting to start a company, right. And like, we can make a whole separate episode about this. So we'll keep it kind of brief, but like, if they're like, okay, like what's kind of the ideal team to build out? Like if you had four power players, like, oh, what, yeah and don't like not names but like we need a guy that does this we need someone that does this and this and this like what what would you say there dude that is a great question this is this is awesome it's kind of like uh super smash bros like picking your lineup picking your lineup basically yeah, right uh well first and foremost you need a good ops guy you need someone who knows how to source products organize things and who knows how to automate so i would start there you know is this person going to be able to if it's a product or a service, are they going to be able to look at everything objectively? And are they going to be able to streamline your processes for you to where it's scalable in a sense to where you could hire people and implement them into your systems? That's super important. You need somebody who understands finance. That can oftentimes be the ops guy, but we're going to talk just in general terms. Let's say there's another finance person who's able to manage the money. We're going to use this as a scenario that you've like raised capital. Uh, you know what I mean? So they're, they're forecasting. That's super important, especially when you're trying to raise capital as well. Um, knowing those numbers, 
I'd say the other thing that you need is somebody who understands the vision, the vision, the mission, and the why. Like, why are you doing it? You need that kind of crazy personality that is able to convince the world why what you're devoting your life to is a problem worth solving. And if that's typically your 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 brand person, so you know they fall into that line. And then if, and last thing, you know, you need you need a marketing. And I think the the funny thing is like, you know, I, I didn't mention sales because I think sales is your your second step in, in, in the system. If you're building an infrastructure, if you have effective marketing, that is your sales team. Because at the end of the day, your sales team is built off of what your marketing team has created. Mm. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Well, and and if you don't have the finance built out, you don't have the vision built out, you don't have the ops built out, you don't have the marketing uh, initiatives built out, and then you just have a bunch of salespeople selling a product without the infrastructure to back it up. Like that's when I believe you get into trouble because it's like, oh, dude, I ordered this product and uh, it said it would take a week to get here, but it took three months. Or, uh, hey, like this happened and this happened. It's like, in my opinion, I think you got to build out the foundation first before you kind of start hitting the sales, in my opinion. Right. I think three is typically the magic number. Two or yeah. three was typically the magic number. So like that would be, you know, kind of visionary marketing. I'd kind of ballpark into one category. And then operations and finance, I'd ballpark into another category. And then, you know, last guy is kind of, kind of like the wild card, but that would really depend on like what you're doing. If you're making an app, like obviously you want a dev guy in your team, you know, yeah. uh, if you're making a product or something like that, obviously you want someone that understands product development and, you know, has experience in the space. Or if like you're continuing to raise funding rounds, like having a, an equipped finance guy. Right. So exactly, 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 dude, exactly. So it's, it's, you know, based off the need, but you know, you're capable of accomplishing more in, numbers than you are by yourself. Like you need a team around you. There are a lot of solopreneurs who have built great businesses, but I don't know. It's pretty amazing when you build an effective team, like the speed at which you can create, implement, launch, and actually turn something into a profitable business. Dude, I mean, it goes back as tail as old as time, man. It's like there's strength in numbers. The you know, proverb says iron sharpens iron, right? So I feel like it's just meant to be to have a community around you building the same thing together. Right, right. And I think to take that question one step further, the most important thing for you to do is to not understand what you're best at, but to understand what you're worst at. Mm. And to understand, like if you were to draw three lines, this is what I love doing this is what I don't mind doing. And this is what I hate doing. What you hate doing is the first thing you want to bring somebody on to that. Like what you hate doing, they should love doing. Mm. Because if you have those like that, then you guys can conquer the the middle stuff that you don't mind. Yeah, that's a good point. So you said hate doing, don't mind doing, like doing, was that it? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like doing, and you typically what you like doing is what you're best at, you know? So sure. having that, so I like doing this. I don't mind doing this. I hate doing this. What you hate doing is typically what you want to hire first. And that's also important because what you hate doing, if somebody like you hire out for that role, 
that person probably loves doing it, therefore has probably a completely different perspective on life than you. Mm. And that's yeah. super important. Like whenever you approach this scenario, you know, I'm building out a company right now with one of my best friends, Noah Walters. He's like Amazon guru. We're the golf balls I was telling you about gambling. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're building this out and, you know, we've been going back and forth on, you know, product quality and, you know, long-term, like we know what we want our exit to be. We know what the mission is. We're aligned. But right now we've decided to take the extra time. We've delayed our actual launch into making the product better. And that was something we debated for a while because, you know, Hey, we know that we could launch this product and get sales. That's not really a question, but I'm like, can we get repeat buyers? And to me, getting repeat buyers is more important than if we can get sales right off the ground. And I would rather invest more money on the front end to try to acquire purchases because it's a little bit of a higher price point than I would for people to buy it once and then never buy it again. Because I think that a lifetime value of an audience is how you scale and sell a business. I think if you're I think if you're if you're running a business and you are not seeing a return customer rate that's significantly high or and is continuing to grow that is a sign that you either need to build a new product within your ecosystem or you have a business that is growing but is slowly staggering out because if you only need it once and never need it again that's a tough thing to scale it is because then it's just gonna like such a quantitative volume game of just like more and more and more and more people versus like you know like this company first form, they make supplements. They have such a strong core group of like dedicated right. buyers, me being one of them who like usually spends around two to 300 bucks a month at this company as a reoccurring customer on protein shakes, meal replacements, vitamins. But it's like, they have me. And then there's probably a hundred thousand of me that are like their core group. And they're still doing the, you know, targeted ads and stuff like that to get new customers. But it's like, that's why just that small example, like supplement companies do so well is because people still need the protein, the bars every single month versus like right. gambling, gambling golf. It's like, you may only need that one time. So it's kind of figuring out how to like repeat that buyer. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like the customer lifetime value. And like the whole thing for us is like, you know, if the ball's not a soft response golf ball, people aren't going to hit it with their driver. You know, people are going to be like, Oh, well, this is a cool idea. You know, whatever ball kind of sucks. Glad we got it, play it once, but you know, people go and play and have a really good time. They're gonna lose the golf balls. They might want to get it again. Yeah. So there you go. It's a consumable product. And that's the that's the whole standpoint too. On you know, if you're buying if you're selling a product that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of room to run with people buying your product once. There's a lot of people in the world, you know, you can make a ton of money doing that. But at the end of the day, if you're going on e-commerce and e-commerce starts to fizzle out and then you're expanding to retail just to keep your margins where you want them to be. And then, you know, retail is going like retail is eventually going to fizzle out, too. And then what happens when they're both just operating at like a meh type mm. level? That's not super sexy to investors. And if an investor is going to come in, they're going to want to go big box, Walmart, whatever it is. And that's going to that your point, margins at that point. You're, yeah, exactly. And at that point, your hands are no longer on the steering wheel like Walmart controls you. Yeah. Dude, I appreciate you bringing that down, man. I, I learned a ton. I know the listeners did as well. So I want to ask what what else you have on your plate. Like, what do you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, 
definitely follow along. Uh, like, I, I definitely have some moves coming out, some products that we're launching, brands that we're launching within the next six months. As far as Teddy GR Studios goes, we're really expanding our product offerings, going to be doing campaigns similar to what we did for Ship Robotics for brands that we see fit. Kind of what's cool about this model is we're we're looking at band, brands that want to partner. Like we we want to be this marketing arm that's going to help you scale. We're not interested. Again, we're talking customer lifetime value. We want to grow with you and help you get to an efficient point to where you're able to either staff your business or we grow with you. You know what I mean? So we're we're looking for businesses that we believe in. We're looking for brands that we think are fun and have the ability to scale on social. So if you have a product idea or a brand, uh, whether it's service product, I already said product a million times, whether it's service product app, you name it, and you have capital and you're looking for a marketing group, we'd love to have a conversation. But you know, want, I want to I want to basically take the key components that we used uh, for you know this shift example. We've used it for a couple other companies as well, and the, these key metrics like research research case studies that we've performed. I want to make these available for people that have their own businesses. Mm -hmm. So I want people to be able to hire us, and we will do the research for you and give you the playbook. So we don't necessarily need to be the ones that can run the play, but if we can give you the the playbook, we think that we can help people scale their businesses. So that's really what I'm building out right now is the framework to bring, you know, really a, an SEO based, an SEO backed content strategy to people's fingertips. Cause at the end of the day, most people have their marketing team they have their marketing people and they're loyal to them. They want to use them. Well, I want to help you make that marketing team worth every single dollar. From the framework that you're going to help build out, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, cool. so what, what if we told you that we could simply double your organic reach on social media by giving you prompts and video ideas for and with the captions that you should make for your account each month? which I know that we're able to do. And then you just go and it's up to them. To and they can go, yeah, they can go create it yeah. themselves. But, you yeah. know, if we tell you, you know, the hardest part is coming up with the ideas, what direction do we go in? You know, we can help you come up with that direction based off of real data. Yeah, that's awesome. And where, where can people connect with you on a personal level? Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram, teddyg111. I'll be stepping up uh, my posting. I've been kind of silent for a bit, but... Uh, the silence been on purpose because uh, we're we're building some things, and I, as I said, I want to come out with a strong launch. So uh, you, you can connect me there, Teddy Gr on LinkedIn. I've been trying to get more active on there, Chris. You've been an inspiration from that standpoint. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I have a Twitter, but I don't think I'm ever going to be a Twitter guy. So yeah. just don't even bother. <laughs> Dude, well, you were doing pretty good on the LinkedIn post for a few weeks, and I, I didn't see any this week, so we, we got to step yeah, it up a little bit. I was I was doing pretty well, and then you know, got bogged down with other tasks. I I need to get like like the weeks Sunday. that I did well. The, yeah, exactly. It's Sunday. The, the weeks yeah. that I did well were, were was when I planned out my posts on Sundays. 
Dude, also like you probably do this for a lot of your content, whether it's business related content or just your personal content. Like I have a notes folder and I'll just think of a random LinkedIn post and be like, boom, like X, Y, Z. And then I'll be like, write it later. And then that way, when I go back to my Google doc, I'm like, oh yeah, X, Y, Z. Like, let me just write out that. So, but yeah, uh, that's cool, man. So got the Instagram, got the LinkedIn. Um, you're not going to be a Twitter guy. That makes sense. But, uh, any other kind of final comments or advice you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, no, not that I can think of. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing that we've been harping on is like, if you have an idea before you pursue it, figure out how you can make money doing it. Hmm. Because uh, a, an idea that's just going to starve you is not worth pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. So true, man. Dude, well, Teddy, this was an absolute blast, brother. I enjoyed the conversation. I thought this was a good way for us to catch up as well and thought we'd just kind of record it. So appreciate you being on. Yeah, man, absolutely appreciate it. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to connect and listen to today's episode. And most importantly, thank you for supporting the podcast. Best way you can do that is continue to listen to the show, continue to make reviews, continue to share the episode. Be sure to connect with Teddy. Be sure to follow him on social media. And other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.